and I've entitled what I'm sharing with you, How Does Your Garden Grow? How Does Your Garden Grow? Last week I shared with you this uh, metaphor of gardening is found all over Scripture, both in the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God likens Israel, the nation of Israel, to His garden. The people he was work bless you, the people he was working with and trying to take care of, uh, Israel served as that in the Old Testament. When you flip over to the New Testament, you find that same metaphor being applied to the church. The church. Paul says, he says this in Galatians, he says, You are God's garden. He's writing to the believers uh, there in Galatia, and he says, You are God's garden. So we talked a little bit about that. That's the fact of how a scripture talk uses this metaphor garden, of garden. And then I shared with you the five phases uh, that go into this process of gardening. And in particular, we looked at step one, you must have a place to have a garden. You either need to own the land or, or make an arrangement to have a place uh, to actually go about the process of gardening. Um, we liken that to us giving God permission to be at work in the garden of our lives, to be at work in our hearts. Uh, we, it all starts with giving Him permission. I don't know if you know this or not, but God has, uh, uh, he, he has made it so that you and I have a choice in life, right? We have a will. We have this ability to say yay or nay. And uh, we can't just assume that God is going to usurp our want for Him to be at work in our hearts and lives. Now, I know God's big and He can do anything He wants. He sits in heaven and does whatever He wants. We know that. But it works best when we say, Lord, You can have my heart as your garden. My life is open to your workings, and uh, I, I, I bring my heart uh, to you. So that's what we talked about last week, about inviting him in to, uh, to take ownership, if you will, of our hearts and of our lives. Uh, after the service last week, uh, I, I feel like it's important for me to say that that is an ongoing process. I was sharing with somebody uh, after the service last week, and we were talking about uh, some songs that we sing. For, for example, uh, most of us in here probably know the song, I Surrender All. Uh, Billy Graham made that famous, by the way. It was at all of his rallies and whatnot. I Surrender All, right? And when we're singing that, when we're singing that, I believe, at least for me, I truly mean it, right? I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. And then when we get done singing and we go a few feet down the road, we realize we didn't surrender all. Do you know that, right? It's like, whoops, uh, no, that didn't quite, that's, the song just didn't do it. And so I say to you, I say that to you, because this, is, this allowing Him to be at work in our lives is an ongoing process. 
We don't just come to a place and saying, okay, I did that. Uh, it, it, it's a daily pursuit of relinquishing uh, ownership of our hearts and lives to Him. Otherwise, we end up, we end up trying to be the sole keeper of our souls. And that never ends well. It just never, ever ends well. Today, I'd like to talk to you about the next phase or the next step in, in the gardening process after him taking ownership. Uh, the next phase is this idea of cultivating the land. I'd like, to tell, I'd like to call what I share with you today cultivating the soil of our hearts. Cultivating the soil of our hearts. Here's some interesting facts about soil I thought you might be interested in. Did you know that there are 70,000 different types of soil in the United States? 70,000. Uh, the, the, it could be different, uh, different texture, color. It could be how productive they are or non-productive. But there's 70,000 different types of soil in the U.S. Number two, did you know that soil is alive? It's alive. This is what I read this week. In one tablespoon of soil, that's not very much, little thing like that is soil. In one tablespoon of soil, there are more uh, what they call living organisms than there are people on the earth. I looked it up. There's 7.88 billion people right now on planet earth. In a little tablespoon of soil, there's more living organisms in that than there are people on the earth. Did you know that soil is essential to life? We don't often think of that. We, we look out there and we see dirt and we go like, yeah, it's dirt, right? We don't, we don't, uh, we don't ponder the fact that at the bottom of the food chain is dirt. Soil. Uh, I read this this week. Soil supports 95% of all food production. So if it weren't for dirt, uh, none of us would survive. We have to have soil. We have to have dirt. Now this morning, I'd like to liken the soil of the earth uh, to the inner man, uh, the heart of who we are in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 it tells us there that God placed man in the garden he had made for him and he called man to do something does anybody remember what it is he said i want you to cultivate and take care of this garden so it wasn't like you know god god started the whole thing the ball rolling but then he said to man, I need you to cultivate it and take care of it. Now, if we, if we take that metaphor uh, and we apply it to our hearts, right? That means that there needs to be some cultivating and taking care of our souls, our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do, out of the heart, right? One translation, instead of saying the word guard, it uses this phrase, be the keeper 
of your hearts. Another translation says it this way, tend to your hearts. So there's that idea, that understanding of, um, of being, you know, paying attention and working uh, with God about what's taking place in the soil of our hearts. When I tell you the word cultivating, I could have used the word plowing, tilling, an, an upearthing. I don't even know if that's a word, but you know what I mean. It's, it's, it's describing the process of properly preparing the soil in order for it to be able to receive seed, right? So I have a picture for you. You probably, if you've driven around the area here, do you have that picture? There should be a picture. No picture. Okay, we got no picture. All right. So as you've been driving around the area this week, you've probably noticed that the tractors are out, uh, you know, work, starting to work the ground, right? Um, now, if, if, if you boil that down to a very small pot, right, what I have here in this pot right here is uh, some dirt. Jody allowed me to borrow one of her pots and... Uh, uh, I found it. It had some old uh, leftover roots from last, whatever was in this pot last year. And so we plucked those out last night in preparation for this morning. And uh, we, we also took out some of the older soil that was in there. And we put in some fresh soil. And then this, this, this past week, uh, I went and bought some compost, which is in this case uh, right on top here. It's cow manure. Okay, there's some manure there on top. So if, if I were to cultivate the soil, what I'm doing is I'm taking some kind of instrument, whether it be this particular tool or whether it be tines on a plow or on a rototiller, I'm taking the soil and I'm beginning to uh, mix it up. I'm beginning to get rid of any hard soil that's in there and opening it up so that in, in, in the days ahead, when I go to the next phase or step of planting the seed, the, the, the seed will be able to find its way into the soil. Everybody with me? I, I mean, I know this isn't rocket science, I'm, I, but I feel like I need to go over it with you in order for what I want to share to make sense. So... You, you have the place that you're going to have your garden. The next phase in that process of, is tending to the soil in such a way that you're going to prepare it to receive the seed. Now, Jesus talked about this. In fact, in one of the most famous parables he gave, he, he spoke directly to this. Uh, it's called the parable of the sower. You can find it in Matthew chapter 13 or Luke chapter 8, uh, Jesus talked about this very thing. He alluded to this notion of having the soil be properly prepared. In that parable, he talked about four types of soil. He referenced what he called the path. He said there is soil that is like the path. The seed falls on the path, he says. Now, the path is the places 
that uh, have been trodden down from uh, foot traffic, right? In your garden, for those of you who garden, you know there's places where you, you plant the seed in the rows, but then you don't go and walk all over that, right? You walk alongside of it. So that becomes like a path uh, there in your garden. So Jesus spoke of the path. Then he also talked about the stony or rocky places. These are places where he says there's not much living soil where the seeds can, can begin to put their roots down, the rocky or stony places. Then he talked about the thorny places, the places where the, 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 the bushes and the, and the shrubbery are that, that, uh, that wouldn't allow the seed to really flourish because they're going to, they've already taken over that place in the soil. And then finally, he talked about what he called the good soil. Good soil that has been properly cultivated, it's been properly tended to, properly made ready for, to receive the seed. Now, the first three places Jesus references there, the path, the stony places, the thorny bush places, we could describe these all of being places that are improperly prepared to receive the seed. Agreed? They are not ready. They are not in a place where the, where the seed is going to easily find its place in that kind of soil. Places that lack being cultivated, the packed down places, the stony places, the thicket or hedgerow places, all of these places, please listen right now, all of these places can get summed up in one word. They are the hard-hearted places. That's how the Bible describes these places, the hard-hearted places. Now when you and I most often think of hard-heartedness, we think of people who are not open to the gospel. Right? You know, the Pharaohs of our day. It talks about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. And every time Moses and God tried to get through to Pharaoh, he hardened his heart yet more, right? But I'm saying, I want to share with us today that hard heartedness is not uh, exclusive to non believers. In fact, Psalm 95, verse 8 and 9, written to believers, written to God followers, says this, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Mirabah. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Mirabah. Now, what is, what is Mirabah? Mirabah was a stopover place after God had gotten his people Israel out of their bondage and slavery in Egypt, and he brought them across the Red Sea, and now they find themselves making their way to the promised land in the wilderness there. Mirabah was one of the stopover places. And at Mirabah, they began, the people began to grumble and complain with their conditions. 
There was a lack of water and a lack of food at that point in their, on their journey. And they began to complain to Moses. They began to complain about God to Moses. And in that moment, God saw them as having hard hearts. Hard hearts. Jesus went on to talk about this in the New Testament. The subject of hard-heartedness came up. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus performs a miracle where he feeds well over 5,000 people with a kid's Happy Meal. Right? He takes a little kid's Happy Meal and he does a miracle and he feeds thousands of people. After that incident, And that miracle, Jesus tells his disciples, I want you to get into a boat and go to the other side. we we got an appointment on the other side of the lake here. I need you to get in a boat and go. And so they load into the boat. They head out. They're headed for their next stop. And in the, as the, the scripture tells us, as they are going along, the winds are against them. They're trying to row into the wind. Remember, there are no boat motors back then. They aren't, you know, f- just throwing the noddle up another notch. They're having to row, and the winds are against them. And as they're making their way in the middle of the night, they see what they think initially is a ghost walking on the water towards them. And after Jesus uh, clears up that, uh, that it's him, uh, the, it says, it literally says, then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. He, he, he's writing about the feeding of the 5,000. They did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. These are people who had left all to follow Jesus. They did not understand about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. Just two chapters later, Jesus feeds another mass of people. They call it the feeding of the 4,000 where he takes yet again a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and he miraculously feeds them, right? And once again, they are on their way to another location, and they realize the disciples are like, they, they just got done seeing this incredible miracle take place, right? They've got leftovers. They had leftovers on both occasions. Apparently, they had helped themselves to the leftovers because they get to the next location, they only got one loaf. One loaf for all of them, right? Seems like a perpetual problem through uh, their travels. They just don't have enough food, right? Which probably has prophetic significance, right? So so anyways... uh, They're, 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 trying, they're talking about, what are we going to do here? We only got this one loaf. And, in, and Jesus knew that they were having this conversation. So he says to them, he says, he's this way, he says, Be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Be careful of that. Now, <laughs> these guys are thinking about, how, what are we going to do for food, Right? 
Jesus pops up with this seemingly teaching out of nowhere. Hey guys, uh, you really got to be careful. Pay attention to the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod, right? They're thinking, what's he talking about, bread? What, 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 is this about the loaf? The only loaf of bread we have? What is he talking about? And Jesus realizes that it had gone completely over their heads. They had no idea what he was talking about, about this yeast thing. So he says, he says well, I guess I'm going to have to try to explain it to them. Aware of their discussion, this is in Mark chapter 8, verses 17 and following. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Can you say that with me? Can you not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basket, basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets of pieces did you pick up? They said seven. We picked up seven after that one. He said to them, you, do you still not understand? Now, in this passage, Jesus is trying to get to something. He is trying to put his finger, if you will, on something that we need to understand. Listen, hard-heartedness at its foundation is about the impairment of people being able to see what they need to see and hear what they need to hear. When, when hard-heartedness hard takes over in somebody's life, they, they, they can't see things like they should be able to see them. They can't hear things like they should be able to hear them. There's an impairment that takes place. In John chapter 12, after Jesus had done many, 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 many miraculous signs, it tells us that the people still did not believe. You know, sometimes I think we think, God, if you would just show up in our day and age and do miracles like we read about in the Bible, then everyone would come to faith. I'm here to tell you that's not what the Bible says. God, Jesus did all that. And yet their hearts were hardened. They were not able to see what they needed to see. They were not able to hear what they needed to hear because there was hardness in their hearts. We'll get to, we'll get to what that is in just a second. In that same section of Scripture, in John chapter 12, Jesus borrows an Old Testament verse and applies it to this moment of unbelieving hearts. He borrows a verse from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 40, and he says, They can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts. Now here is the thing about hard-heartedness. 
The person who has it is the last one to know. Have you ever known anybody who has set out to be a hard-hearted person? Like, I have a goal in life. I want to become hard-hearted. No, absolutely not. I don't know. I, nobody's ever said that to me. It is always, I've noticed this, we can see it in others, right? Somehow we can see some stuff, and we can see it in others, but we seem to never see it in ourselves. J.D., are you still here? Yes. What you were talking about this morning was hard-heartedness. That's what you gave testimony about. Now, you didn't set out to be hard-hearted, right? Right? Okay, just... <laughs> Just check it. I thought I might have met the first person. Right? Yeah, that's what I set out to do. I was trying to be that way. Right? It seems like it's easy to see it in others and difficult to see it in ourselves. So I ask, I ask you, I ask myself, what causes that? What causes hard-heartedness? Hard-heartedness, this is what I wrote down, hard-heartedness can set in when something we don't like adversely affects our soul. Very often it leads to a person being broken-hearted in some way. People risk being vulnerable. They put trust in someone or something only to have it end with something taking place that adversely affects their hearts. It could be unmet expectations. It could be flat-out betrayal. It could be rejection. But something happens that my, my inner man doesn't like. Now, what often happens in marriages, in relationships in general, what often happens is, happens is an effort to protect ourselves from something like that occurring again. People tend to say to themselves, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, I'm never going to let that happen again. But here's the problem. The very walls, the very walls that we build that we think are going to protect us are the very walls that cause God not to be allowed to be at work in our garden. That's how it works. The very walls we erected to try to protect us are the very walls that end up isolating us from the healing we shall desperately need. People become invulnerable, untrusting, isolated. Oh, people, people will remain relational. You know what I'm talking about. 
They open the door and they'll have a little chat with you, but they ain't letting you in. So what are some of the symptoms of this ailment? This hard soil, hard-heartedness? Well, hard-hearted people can exhibit signs of being jaded, cynical, indifferent. It leaks out a number of different ways. Hard-hearted people can become full of pride. They have an insatiable need to be right. I got to be right. Which, by the way, most often leads to you being right. It's called self-righteousness. Hard-hearted. Do you remember the yeast or leaven that Jesus warned of them about? This is what he was talking about. the Pharisees and of Herod. He was warning his disciples about becoming hard-hearted or being hard-hearted. Some other symptoms of hard-heartedness is an unwillingness to forgive. Bitterness, resentment, in some way it will leak out. Hard-heartedness left undealt with will end up leading to isolation from God and others. Now let me be abundantly clear. Hard-hearted people are not bad people. They're broken people. As I said... The problem with this condition is that unfortunately the various ways and means we have deployed to protect ourselves from more hurt end up shielding us from finding healing. So, I have to tell you this this morning, I'm sorry. How does a hard-hearted soil type person end up becoming good soil? We find our way out of hard-heartedness the same way we got into it. A broken heart. Let me explain. Just as the unhealed broken heart becomes hardened, so the hardened heart must become broken again in order to be healed. J.D., I go back to you. What happened? I don't know what got said. I don't know what, where this place is at or anything like that. But what ended up happening for you and your wife this weekend is God broke your heart. Your soil became pliable again. It became able to receive God's Word, God's seed into your heart again. There is no shortcut to this, folks. The only way you and I find ourselves going from bad soil to good soil is to allow God to put the divine tines of His Spirit down into our hearts and lives and begin bringing up. That's what you do. When you till the soil, you bring up what's underneath 
back up to the surface again. Are you with me? Now, nobody wants to do that. Who wants to do that? We've had those things down there. That's where those things belong. I like my hard soil just the way it is. I don't want this stuff. I don't want to have to dig this stuff up again. Well, if you're going to be good soil, you got to do that. I'm sorry to tell you that. You've got to allow God to unearth this stuff that you have found uh, okay to keep buried. It's not okay. Because the longer you allow that to go forward, the less sensitive you will ever be to the seed that God is dispersing in your life. You will not be able to see or hear. Remember, it impairs your ability to see things properly. It impairs your ability to hear. Remember, the the scripture says, it says, uh, to him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. If you have a hard heart, you can't hear that. You can't hear that. My wife says, you know, I, I, you all know, I, I, those of you who know me well, I probably need hearing aids, right? That's where we're at. She says something, I can't hear it. And, uh, and, and, and so we, this thing, I was like, what? What? What did you say? What? You know, we're back and forth and all up. We're all over the place. You know, my, I mean, to be fair, most of the time she's telling me something. She got her head stuck in the dryer. Right? Whoa, like that. I'm like, what? What did you say? I didn't hear. What did you say? What do you mean? You, you need hearing aids. I'm like, just get your head out of the dryer and all you're fine. Right? It's all good. You know, face me. Face me when you're saying something that's important. You know, did you, did you hear what he said? <laughs> what? What did you say? Let me see your lips moving. Maybe I'll figure it out. In a very much similar way, I believe God is speaking today. Let me say that again. I believe God is speaking today. I believe God is speaking to you. And to you. And to you. And to you. But the only possible way we're going to be able to embrace the seed of what He's sowing in our hearts and lives is if we have hearts that can hear and see what God is saying and doing. So I don't see, I don't, I don't, what's God, God doing? He ain't doing nothing, you know? He ain't saying anything to me. You might, you might want to check out the condition of your soil. Because God is talking. But if you, listen, if you don't want him probing around down there, he's like, okay, well, well I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going where I'm not wanted, right? Right now, beyond, listen, the condition, please, the condition of our culture, let's not ever forget this, is the condition of people. You know, culture is like this, 
A culture is made up of people. And when, when, and when our culture, when, 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 when people within our culture say, I, we don't want this God stuff anymore, you end up with what we're watching. That's how it works. My heart is not fertile ground for what God would say and do. And God says, okay, well, I'm going to keep throwing some seed out there, but it may fall on your stony, hard-hearted heart. I'm totally off script here. Okay. Uh, rocky places, soil places, blah, blah, blah. We'll leave that alone. Uh, listen, here, listen, listen. So I said to you, I said to you that the same way we deal with hard-heartedness is, uh, is through brokenness. It's important for me to say to you this morning that when the Scripture uses the word, listen, in Psalm uh, 51, this is a very fa famous psalm, it's the psalm of David, the cry of David's heart after he got found out about what happened with Bathsheba, right? He got caught. You remember how that whole thing went down, right? He's hiding it, hiding it, hiding it, hiding the sin with Bathsheba, hiding, killing her husband, blah, 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 blah. And I think, wasn't it Nathan? I think Nathan walks up to him and he, he creates this story like, Oh, there was this guy who stole the sheep from somebody who didn't, you know, who was poor and didn't have a sheep. And he's telling David this story. And he says, you know, what, 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 what do you think should happen to that guy? And David's like, oh, they should take him out. You know, that shouldn't happen that way. So and so on. And Nathan says, David, you were the man. You are the man. You the dude. I, it's you I'm talking about. And David just just has a come to Jesus moment in that, in, that, in that moment. And this is what he pens. This is part of what he pens in Psalm 51. He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Okay, what's that mean? You're, you're thinking, what in the world is that about? All right, so David is saying, listen, you, I, could, I could go out and slaughter a couple animals, do this and everything, to try to make up for where I fell short here, right? But he knew that what God was really looking for was David's heart to be broken over his situation. Now, broken, that, the very word in the Hebrew that's mentioned in this verse, it can mean being smashed, uh, destroyed, that kind of thing. But I, this is how I look at it. I think God is, it can also mean broken that produces breakthrough. Now, I, here's an illustration of that. And, and I know we all know what I'm about to talk about, but uh, those of the female version here this morning, you know it better than we as men. When right before a woman is about to give birth, there is a breaking that happens. Right? I think that's how it works. That's what I was told anyways. There is this breaking that takes place in preparation for the birth that's about to, to, about to happen. There is a brokenness, a breaking that takes place before the breakthrough comes forth, right? So you and I, uh, what, what God is trying to say to us is that 
there has to be for us to see the ground in our heart be, be cultivated properly, prepared properly to receive his seed, then it means that you and I need to become broken before God. Not, not broken bad, broken good. Broken before him. Lord, uh, I see it now. I, I, I can see what you're talking about. Uh, here's my heart, Lord. I, it obviously needs fixed. It needs worked. Your garden needs tending to, Lord. And I'm making myself available to you. I'm being broken before the Lord and asking him to begin to heal and bring nourishment to those places that I've been trying to tend to myself. I'm gonna ask uh, Scott and, and you and Acris, uh, I guess it is, if you come back. God wants to heal our broken hearts. He wants to heal them. But we must first acknowledge that we even have that. No, nothing wrong with me. I'm perfectly fine. Yeah, except for your hard-heartedness. You're all good. We must acknowledge. We can't just see it in others. We need to see it in ourselves. Only then can the, dodden, the trodden down paths and the stony places The places that aren't good ground for the seed. In Hosea, there's a prophetic word there. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Break up the unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. Amen. Hebrews says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Dare I say this morning, and I'm, I mean nothing about me personally, but dare I say this morning that the Lord is trying, He's, he's, uh, he's throwing seed out this morning. He's throwing seed out there. Harden not your hearts. Seek the Lord. It's not enough for us to have had a good soil heart at one time in our life. Like, oh yeah, I remember that time. I, I was really, you know, I was broken before the Lord and I, I let him into my life. That was 40 years ago. It can't, it can't work that way. Every day we need to bring the garden of our heart to him and allow him to do his gardening work within us. And one of his works is to, is to put his divine, whatever this thing is, into our hearts and break up any hardened places that are in there. He has to do it. We've all been walked on here. I'm in good company this morning. We've all been walked on. We've all, we all know what the trodden down paths are in our life, right? We all know there's some stoniness in us, right? Some rocks that need, that need addressing, right? 
We all know, we all know what the thorny place is. Remember, Jesus told us, hey, when he translated what he was, the metaphor he was using, he said, you know, those those thorny places are those places where you've you, you, you've worried about some things way too much. You've gone after some things that you probably shouldn't have went after, right? And you've, yet, you've disallowed the worries of life and, and the busyness of life to kind of take over your garden. He said, we've got to get those out of there. We've got to do something about that. We all have worries and concerns that can consume our hearts. All these places, all these places fight against, resist what God would want to accomplish in the garden of our life. Now, I'm going to ask you if you stand. These guys are going to begin playing some things. If you'd just stand with me, please. couple things happened this week that I thought were interesting. We had, um, I don't know what day it was, it might have been Wednesday, one of the days this week, we made our facilities here available for the, the, this uh, group that came in that did a life screening health. Uh, you could come in and go through some testing, right? I talked to the, to the people, they're a traveling group, and I was talking to them early in the morning. They, they, some, most of them live down in the Florida area. and They travel all over the United States doing this, right? And I said to them, I said, um, I said, how many do you do in a day? She said, we do 75. I said, what's your, what's your load look like for today? She said, we're all full. She said, we can never fit in the number of people who want to come to this. Wow. That's what I said. Wow. That's awesome. Also this week, I was talking, a gentleman was talking at uh, our prayer group on Tuesday morning, and he happened to be in a, a service, a setting of a church uh, environment, and they opened up the altar for people to come forward and to spend some time with the Lord. And he confessed at our meeting this week, he said, you know, there was just something within me that that didn't want to do that. You know, you start thinking, what are people going to think? And, you know, you know all the stuff we do to talk ourselves out of it. I tell you those two things because it seems to me like a lot of times people are more, consider, more concerned about their physical welfare than they are about their spiritual welfare. I wonder this morning if we set up a screening next door to see who has hard hearts or not, whether the appointments would be full. Interestingly enough, Jesus flipped that upside down. He said, you should be more concerned about your heart your inner man heart than you are about your physical heart. 
So I'm kind of asking us this morning, um, would you take a moment or two right now to check in with Dr. Jesus to see if there would be any hard-heartedness in you. As I said, I know it's easy to see it in others and sometimes it may be harder to see it in ourselves, but it's there. It's there. It's there. We have a front here. You're welcome to use that as a place to spend those moments with the Lord. You can kneel right where you're at. You could move out into the aisle, whatever. We're, you know, we're just a church that's real and no pretense. This is what it is. We're human beings trying to love God the best that we know how. So I, I just want you to take these next few moments and just ask God, Lord, are there any any of those kind of uncultivated places in the soil of my heart. Remember, I believe God speaks, and when you come to Him in that, with a contrite heart, with a with a broken heart, that is your best case scenario to receive fresh word, fresh seed from God Himself.